Derek, thank you so much for having me yeah. to your awesome studio. I, I don't want to say garage studio because it's not a garage anymore. It's it's far no, from a garage. But it is. And, and the director on this, the movie I'm working on now is like, I'm not sure I want to mix in a garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of people where it's like, yeah. yeah, I work out of the garage. And it's like, this is so far from the garage. That's the thing. It's hard to, yeah, it's hard to get that across. It's like, no, I put a little room in my garage. Yeah. But, but yeah. you have an S6 behind you. Mm-hmm. Two-man station. Yeah, you have a two-man station. You have yeah. the projector. You have surround. You have Atmos. You have a perfect LCR system behind the screen. Yeah. So before we get into like why you have this wonderful setup, which which goes under Summit Post Sound, um, so you can go to summitpostsound.com and, and check out uh, kind of what 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 the facility and the services that Derek's up to. But um, before we started recording, you started to tell me a little bit about you're not you're not from LA. Grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Yep. Yeah, yeah, went to school out there, University of Colorado. And when did you? get the itch to even think about doing sound what was that inspiration i i lived in san francisco and i was in a band up there and we toured around and stuff and didn't really enjoy the touring around life and uh came here in i think 91 okay. um and worked for a show called hard copy got a mm-hmm. job as a pa and then holding a boom <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and we were like it was kind of run and gun stuff where they just want to do, you know, it was pop, basically paparazzi kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, got tired of that pretty quickly and went back to school, finished up my degree. Um, I was uh, studying music and then ended up doing audio engineering um, classes and kind of fell in love with it and decided to go into post. So at that time, I mean, let's, let's just throw out the year. What year was that? So... I graduated high school in 86, yeah. um, did most of my college by 89, yeah. um, and then had a year left. So I think probably 95 I finished up. I and went we, back and finished up in 95. And when it came to sound in 95, it was so far from where it is now. Yeah, I was lucky because it was the first couple of movies I did was on MAG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I had studied in school the predecessor to Pro Tools, sound designer, and then had Pro Tools 3. So I was one of kind of one of the first guys who, um, or like at least on the forefront yeah, of sure. being, being, you know, in the technology. So the guys kind of moving over needed somebody like me, mm-hmm. moving from mag to computers. And that's really how I got lucky and got my start and worked at DSP and John Ross uh, from DSP. Like was kind of a visionary anyhow, and one of the first guys yeah. to embrace the digital technology. I've, I, I very clearly remember, uh, you know, the the shift in the tide between analog to digital, and it was always the younger guys, like opportunity of like, oh, here comes the younger guys with their digital audio, and they're gonna. You know, I, I don't think there's ever the feeling of like, oh, this is gonna take jobs away, but there was definitely an understanding that this was the next generation of sound. Yeah. And we actually saw guys retire just going, I'm not going to do that. Forget <laughs> it. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, computers were kind of a new thing, or at least uh, digital audio workstations were a new thing. Yeah. And I remember mixing a show at Sony uh, when even digital video came out, and this was probably 2003 or four. Sure. Um, and trying to convince the mixers to use digital video. And he, the mixer was so frustrated uh-huh. that he couldn't mix in rewind. Because what would happen is they would rewind, 
the mag or mm. that uh, the film slowly and they would kind of set their levels in reverse because you could hear the audio yeah. going back and i was we had a conversation with the i was like you don't have to do you're already there you're already back in time so it was a it's just wrapping your mind around you know the power of mm -hmm. the digital platform was difficult mm -hmm. in in the, that era and we don't even think about it now. No, of course. And it seems like just looking back at your credits back in 95, 97, 98, 99, it got really busy. And it seemed that you were kind of skipping between TV work and film work and Rugrats movie, The Water Boy, uh, doing some TV episodic work. Like, how was it for you f building your network, meeting people and staying active? Uh the cool thing about working at a facility, a larger facility, is that you get to get your hands on a lot of stuff. Yeah. So um, I kind of got my start doing Rugrats um, yeah. and then went to DSP and uh, did a lot of like Hercules, Xena, but also worked on movies and things mm -hmm. there. So they kind of throw you around as needed, um, put you into whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh whatever project needed help they would kind of move you into for a short time so i got a lot of exposure television's great because it teaches you to be fast to work fast yeah 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 um and then we were back back then we were on something called the dawn system mm -hmm. which is probably before most people's times it was a mm -hmm. digital audio workstation that didn't need any hardware um so we would cut fully on that and then we would do effects on pro tools with samplers and things because we only had eight outputs and, uh, mm. oh go ahead no, good. Uh, so I, from there, I met Elmo Weber, who's a supervisor, who does all Sand Sandler's films yeah. and a bunch, bunch of other like amazing films. Um, and he kind of took me on uh, and really launched my career into film. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to allude to, which is that meeting someone like Elmo, <laughs> like it, it allows you to be pulled into a world that usually people it's not that they dream of it's just that they always aspire for bigger opportunities yeah and and, yeah. and it's a strange thing because with elmo i got to do everything yeah. i got to be on the stage i got to record fully i got to do effects um i got to go to the adr sessions i got to kind of do everything which doesn't really exist like mm -hmm. if you work at a facility you're just the backgrounds guy or the effects guy or right. the foley guy and um like opened up this whole world of everything to mm. me. And so now in my career, that's kind of what I do. I always take on um, guys from universities or whatever who want to get into sound and I like give them a three-year kind of training. Mm -hmm. um, and then they move on, like Wayne Lemmer, guys mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. uh, move on to yeah. be doing amazing, amazing things. So what, what can you say just about your collaboration with those guys, with that team, with Sandler and what and his Happy Madison yeah. group, um, they're on the Sony lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's unique about uh, your work style? How you like to communicate, interact, collaborate? Uh, like, why, why do you think it works so well, especially with someone like him who you've had a long collaboration with? Uh, it he's the one who t him and Elma like working in that yeah. crew taught me to. Um, that it's a collaboration. Mm -hmm. Like, because Sandler was really collaborative. Elmo was really collaborative. <laughs> and we would just all get in a room and do stupid things and make dumb sounds and like just be silly. Yeah. And it really made the whole job fun. Yeah. Yeah. And did you find that 
like the material that you I mean Sandler's working on some, like all sorts of stuff that's in comedy some romantic comedies like it, it kind of it, some pretty amazing like big films that like people still it's not necessarily focused on sound but there's like elements of comedic timing and other aspects right yeah you learn that sound is not important like sound <laughs> effects are not important until it's important right like music's important story's important you learn the big picture especially in comedies yeah um and then when it's a moment for sound you learn that that's definitely your moment but yeah. they don't want to hear birds they don't want to hear they, they want to hear they don't want anything stepping on the jokes they don't want anything stepping on like the romantic scenes yeah um so you really learn uh, you learn the art of filmmaking, I think, yeah, when you work on comedies. So besides, obviously, like the roster of projects you've worked on with Sandler, there's also another handful of, of collaborators that you've worked with. And, and it seems that um, just looking at your credits here, it like when I walked in, like you're telling me about the project you're working on right now, and it's kind of fallen into this. I don't know, how did you describe it? What was the word? Like a mindful, like a <laughs> spiritual kind yeah, of pro yeah. project. Yeah, it's a, The Secret, which is uh, yeah. based off of a novel. So like, -selling novel. because of, so maybe set up how you established your studio here or or, or, for, or working out of your own studio, your own home studio, why, why this was like the best choice for you and ultimately like how that allows you to take on independent, smaller production projects that maybe you wouldn't have access to and also how you can, um, kind of jog between the fe the bigger feature uh, works and also some of these more independent films. Yes, so getting set up here was really an act of the changing of the times. Yeah, like you and we were just talking about the technology and the equipment. Like <laughs> yeah, I yeah. couldn't build this room with a million dollar Neve. Right, I couldn't have afforded it. Yeah, so the whole room, you know, you can kind of build out for three or four hundred thousand now, rather than with all the equipment sure. and the build out. Yeah. Um, rather than millions yeah. uh, a few years ago. So the same things happened in production, yeah. where they're going to digital cameras, things are being shot faster, budgets are lower, sure. onlining is cheap, like everything, color correction, a lot of that's being done kind of by the picture editor or the picture team. Yeah. So everything is getting condensed. The, um, the financials are getting condensed, mm -hmm. and they're making amazing movies yeah. for the low few millions where it wasn't possible before. So if you have a $10 million movie, mm. how do you do post sound yeah. for that? Because you don't have a million dollar, $2 million budget for your sound right. on a $10 million all in project. And I was starting to work a lot with like searchlight, you know, Fox 2000 mm -hmm. companies like that who had smaller uh, budgets. Um, and we're doing these more independent kind of grassroots movies. And, it was talking to, you know, people like Nikki Scalise, who runs Fox Searchlight mm -hmm. Post and um, Aaron Downing and guys like that, where we saw a need for something like this. Mm. And at Fox, we had built some small rooms. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is not far off from what the, the guys are working on. Yeah. The size of the room, the type of equipment, the desks, like this is pretty close to what they're using there. Yes. And everything here, like I just walk into any other stage. With, and you pull it up. With a hard drive. Yeah, exactly. And a USB. Um, dongle. So what you, have you, you said you just moved here. How, how long ago was it? What year? Six years, six, almost seven years, seven ago. years ago. Yeah. How long did it take you to build out the space? This took, I moved in July and it took till I had planned on opening in November cause I had a yeah. film. 
I think I opened in March. Okay. Yeah. So when you when you're thinking about your workflow, it's everything's in the box. Everything's in the box. Yeah. Like what other aspects? Like what are the, some of the other yeah aspects and concerns or thoughts that you have when you like in your work environment? What other tools do you need outside of the console and Pro Tools? That's kind of it now. Like two systems is good because yeah. you know you end up with a thousand or more tracks on yeah. a big film, um, and but otherwise it's all kind of this is a big mouse. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's a really powerful mouse, but that's, that's what it is. So storage security, the security thing is really important. Now. Sure. Um, those kinds of things are, you know, just you hire a dude and get it done kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So what does this allow you when it comes to, because I, I too have a, you know, I turned a bedroom into a studio and now I, I've always worked at home and I understand like the work-life balance is, there's no delineation between the two and they can, how do you structure the work-life balance and what is it about your project, like your work, um, the amount of work that you, your projects and the timelines, like what are the pros and cons behind having a, a studio like this? The, pro, the con is that you just walk out the door and walk in another door and you're at work. Yeah. So whenever you're like at 10 o'clock at night, you're like, Oh, I got an idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll just yeah. get up and do it. Yeah. And I do that. Mm -hmm. The pros are at like two o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be like, I just need a mountain bike ride. Sure. So I'll go up in the hills for a couple hours and ride. Yeah. Uh, the other pros are like the big pro is it's an insanely collaborative way to work with picture editors and directors. Because okay. They're close. Uh, they like coming over here and hanging out. We make pizzas or we make pasta or like we cook and do that whole thing. And it just becomes more of a collaborative experience yeah. um, for the whole entire post-production filmmaking process. That's, so do you ever have to, I mean, are you finaling on in here? I do. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So on bigger films, I have kind of two models. On the smaller films, like Hala we were talking mm -hmm. about, yeah. which was just in Sundance. Mm -hmm. And then I have two in uh, Tribeca Film Festival coming up. We did everything here. Amazing. And it translates beautifully. Um, on this, we, you know, did our pre-dubs, I mean, our temp dubs here yeah. and took it to big theaters and it sounds, um, it actually kind of sounds better because it opens up, the dialogue sure. opens up, you don't hear. This is a little more critical listening. You kind of hear every, mm -hmm. uh, because of the smaller everything. Space yeah, okay. you just kind of hear everything. A little more intimate. So, which is cool because when you go into a big space, it opens up and you don't hear any of that. And yeah. It gets really refined in here. Uh, but on movies like, um, I just, went to a premiere last night, a breakthrough, mm -hmm. uh, that I mixed with Paul Massey. Mm -hmm. So I would do most of the work here, and then the last 10 days, um, we would go to Fox or a big stage, yeah. uh, you know, and, and do the final there. So I'll do all the pre-dubbing here. So when you have other, you know, collaborators, supervising sound editors, re-recording mixers that know that you have this amazing home studio like this, I mean, maybe like, is there a perception of, does it a lot? Does it limit you in terms of people's perception of like, oh, I mean, you have amazing credits. It's not like you can't do the work. But what happens when you have the home studio? Like, do you think the time and place now that people are thinking that it it's more of a, a positive thing than more of a drawback? Like, oh, he's not he's not on, on the lot type of situation. It, the drawback is you don't get to see your buddies every day. Sure, yeah, and you're kind of you know up here. Well, now you um, see your family. I mean, you, uh, you see, see your it. family, right? And your dog, and <laughs> you get to hang out. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a trade off. Uh, the, I don't know, it just, I, yeah. I, 
it doesn't seem like I have a lack of work. Okay. I've been pretty fortunate in my career. Like yeah. movies come and then, you know, we were just talking about Craig Hennigan mm-hmm. and I worked on Terminator with him. Right. Um, there's, uh, you know, I have a couple really big movies coming up next year. If I have time for them, I'll mm-hmm. work on them, uh, depending on what happens here. Uh, but my preference is these kind of independent, uh, you know, under $30 million budget films. Yeah, sure. Is my preference. And what, what do you find with, with that type of project? How much time are you spending on them? So this one I started in December and mm. we'll finish up uh, in middle of April. So how do you protect or your, May, how, how do you protect May. and manage your schedule? Because you only have one room here. It's not like you can bounce it over to another stage in, in your, your... Yeah. You know? I only take projects I can be fully committed to. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you find that... Um, like, the, 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 I mean, I'm just looking at the number of projects you've, you've already worked on or that are in, you know, production or wrapping up. Do you find that you're getting shorter amounts of time because, because like, maybe the budgets are smaller? Uh, there's more smaller ones? Yeah, so you do get less time on the smaller ones, maybe two months, three months. Uh-huh. The huge benefit is they come locked. You're not chasing picture. You're not changing picture. Okay. You're not dealing with... On the smaller ones, you're not dealing with a lot of visual effects. So it's a little more reasonable time-wise um, than it seems like. Like if you have mm-hmm. three months on a small film, yeah. two or three months, to be on it the entire time and not chasing changes, mm. not uh, trying to keep up with the visual effects, not yeah. doing a lot of temps, uh, a lot of previews, which m- means more changes, um, mm. it actually works out pretty well. Mm. Yeah. So for you, when, when it comes to um, collaborating with some of, some of the other guys, like, who are some of the, the people that inspired you early on? Your you obviously mentioned Elmo was was one. Yeah. Who, who are some of the other folks who helped kind of? I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but just like inspire you. Dave Bach was mm-hmm. huge. Uh, you know, he he does he's doing um, you know like Chris Nolan films and mm-hmm. things now, uh, and we kind of started out together. He was a year or two ahead of me, and he kind of like you know guided me mm-hmm. uh, in my career a lot. I would say. Skip Leaf's a huge mm-hmm. uh, inspiration, and working with him, collaborating with him mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, Craig Hennigan, definitely. Mm-hmm. John Larson at Fox, who kind of runs a sound department over there, um, is you know took me under his wing. There's there's been a lot of a uh, lot of guys who really inspired me, helped me out, and like, mm-hmm. uh, taught me a lot. So there's been a huge, obviously, from when you started to now, there's been every five years, there's been a dramatic, I mean, with the S6 coming out, there's, it, it, it slightly changes how people think about working. I remember before the idea of working in the box was like, like, how, like, how dare you? Like, that was. Yeah. And so Elmo and I, like, we mixed some like small horror films, Buena Vista Social Club mm-hmm. for Vin Vendors, all we did a lot of movies. He had a little facility out in Burbank uh-huh. and we were mixing on, you remember the puck mouse? Oh yeah. yeah. yeah Literally sure. mixing movies on that without, mm-hmm. cause there with weren't, no faders. there weren't even personas like one fader. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember mixing with skip and he would bring the personas one fader and just plop it down uh-huh. on the console and mix with that, you know? So, uh, it has changed a lot and it's becoming, you used to have the discussion so many times we had this discussion, um, which mm-hmm. sometimes got heated and, you know, we would, it was always in good spirits, but, um, 
you can't mix in a small room and you can't mix in the box. Mm. That discussion happened for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and people were doing it. Mm -hmm. And it, there was a big push against it, like any kind of new technology. I mean, for someone, for someone who's actually like at the forefront of any technology, there's, you know, the early adopters are always the ones who are, you know, running into the wall and trying to figure out how to like make it work how it used to work. And yeah. And that's the thing. We have to make it work like they're yeah. used to working. So the other thing that happened is we don't have mentorships in this anymore. There's yeah. just no money for it. There's no time. There's It's difficult to, like, it used to be on a mixing stage, you would go and sit with a mixer sure, and you would kind of learn yeah, right. for months and they would tell you what they're doing. Um, in my career, I would pick mixers I wanted to work with, like Landek or mm -hmm. Massey or, you know, Andy Nelson, uh, guys like that, and mm -hmm. try and... Uh, I would want to mix effects next to them or supervise movies that they would mix. So I could be like, Hey, what are you doing there? <laughs> but, um, you know, and guys like Landecker, um, all those guys are really interested in teaching us, uh, you know, teaching guys how to do it yeah. properly. Cause they have so much knowledge. So I would do that. But what happened is with this, all this technology is, I couldn't get a job as a mixer. Yeah, I mean, there's like, that. You know, yeah. except with Skip Leaves, he would take me around and we would mix <laughs> movies together. Yeah. But I couldn't go to Fox. I couldn't go to Warner Brothers. It was really a difficult thing to move into mixing. Um, and there was, there's a, back, you know, 10 years ago, there was a huge pushback against sound designers or supervisors mm -hmm. mixing. Mm -hmm. um, it's because the mixing role is a pretty coveted role. Sure. Um, so I was like, oh, just. Yeah put the console in my room and start mixing and <laughs> yeah, see yeah, what yeah. happens. Well, nowadays we're yeah. seeing like the, uh, oh gosh, some of the, the premixes, some of the early stuff rolls right into, you know. The whole, trans yeah, now we transition. Now, like, yeah. the before, transition is a wonderful word. Before we would <laughs> yeah. take yeah. and we would do a temp. Yeah. And then Sandler would be like, man, this temp sounds great. And we'd yeah. like mix it in four days, You'd the whole done. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would get to the final and start pre-dubbing and throw all of that away. And he'd walk in and he goes, where's the magic from that moment from the temp? Yeah. And we would lose all of that because yeah. we would start over. This is an evolving process. Yeah. Like we never lose anything. We just yeah. make it better and better and better and better till the end. So obviously some, something that's, that's kind of influenced how people are working in deliverables and processes is spatial audio. I think, I think of obviously the obvious ones are Dolby Atmos, what DTS yeah. is doing, Oro. Uh, so your room, and one of the questions actually online someone asks is, does he mix Atmos in? Yeah, so in I have your... Atmos here, and I can do yeah. near-field Atmos. Let's see. Yeah. Um, also, we can edit in Atmos now if right. that's... Um, it seems like the transition now, or the, what's happening is we're going to, on Atmos films, um, with the new software and Pro Tools and the new Dolby boxes and things, we're able to actually like edit in Atmos and it's easy to down mix yeah. to 7.1. It's harder to take 7.1 or 5.1 and up mix it into Atmos. Uh, that's like a whole different process. But getting it back mm -hmm. um, to 7.1 or 5.1 is, uh, a, it seems like a better way to work. So yeah. we're, um, I have a big netflix film i'm about to start and that's going to be all in atmos and i'm going to start it from you know atmos from do a native one. atmos mix yeah yeah so um one of the i think the considerations is okay how's it going to translate from a room this size to a full theater and and you know your thought was no problem it's great yeah, yeah it sounds great so what is it about your mixing process of how you build your tracks and how you treat obviously 
the fundamentals of dialogue and your music. What what is it about um, maybe the expected type of mix and your own approach that you think makes um, make that translation so seamless? It's for me now. It's kind of editing is mixing and mixing is editing, and it's something that you think about the entire process. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with smaller films or any films, like they'll bring you in and they'll be like, in three weeks, we have a temp. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so you've got to cut the movie in three weeks. Yeah. So you're, as you're editing, you're like EQing, you're putting space on it, you're um, cleaning it up a bit. Uh, you're going through all those steps now as mm. you're editing rather than just mixing because you don't really have time um, to do you know, a, a big five or six day temp mix well, while, think, while you're trying to I edit. I mean, also and, it's, you know, it's one more knob you grab this time now and yeah, it's and a lot quicker. You want it to sound good while you're editing. Right. So I kind of do that anyhow. So it's kind of the, the worlds are kind of meshing together a lot yeah. these days. So when, when you are working on, um, you know, some of the smaller independent films and you don't have a full crew, are you doing all your dialogue editing yourself? Uh, I, there's not many times I don't have a few editors working okay. with me, but, and I was doing all sound design for yeah. like the first 15 years of my career. Okay. And now I've loved doing dialogue. Okay. And I love hiring great effects guys. And then I get to just do like, oh, I would do this. Yeah. yeah so making those adjustments, like, yeah. Just little touches <laughs> on whatever. And it's more fun for me now than just like, oh, another door closed, another car. Yeah, sure. Another. Of course. Like, so I get to hire people to do all that. Yeah. Um, and now I'm focusing more on the dialogue. I love going to the ADR stages. I love matching ADR. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that interface with the clients. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is really important to, you know, yeah. kind of sustaining a career. So when it comes to dialogue, what are you capable of doing today that maybe you weren't as so excited about doing then? Like, what are some of the plugins? What's some of the, the, the um, ch- channel kind of pass? Cedar, like now is software. So mm-hmm. I don't have to have a cedar box and like write down all Did my settings. Did you ever settings. have a cedar do- box? No, just on stages. I no, make okay. stages, all right? right? Yeah, so yeah. I never owned one. Yeah. Uh, the cedar plugin is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the thing that the guys at Isotope are doing. Yeah. Uh, what specifically the, about what Isotope stuff? The EQ match is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Just phenomenal. Um, they're tools for like if you need to draw a bird out that's driving the director crazy in dialogue rather than shooting all the adr yeah we can go in there and literally like draw little circles around it and then find um you know similar items and kind of just re- start reducing them uh in isotope like when i'm reducing or doing noise reduction mm-hmm. my first thing is to find what i don't want and mm-hmm. then i gain it down okay. i use the gain tool yeah that's my and i know everybody has a different way of working but my favorite way of working on the and isotope is just using gain because then I can take it down three mm-hmm. or four or five or six. Enough where it's not audible at least. Yeah, where it just yeah. it's still there. But it doesn't mess up the sound. Um, it just reduces that that frequency or that tone or whatever. Even when I take out birds, yeah, I'll leave a little and I'll just gain sure. them down. And do you find that your process is just from trial trial and error? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's by taste, really. It is by taste. Yeah. yeah, that's my process. Yeah, and it would be good to sit down with the dudes at Isotope, and they go, "No, dude, you're doing this all wrong." <laughs> but if it works, there's, and there's, there's some great yeah. ways to do this. No, but if but, your track sounds good and you like it, then why yeah. does it matter? Yeah, how you, how you get there? Yeah, we all have our kind of work, our work methods, but it's always fun to learn from guys who really, you know, 
uh, specialize. Well, you know that thing. it's so funny you you mentioned them because I just had a chance to to cross paths with them at NAB this past week in Vegas and talking with them. They, they get excited because they put out a software and people use it like in a way that wasn't intended. That's creatively just you know that they they said like people are using our software in ways that we never imagined. It's like you give you you put it out there and then like no one reads the manual. They just start plugging away and yeah. And I just did a horror film for Fox mm-hmm. um, called The Empty Man. Yeah. And there were these tones in the dialogue that we wanted to get out. And when I like soloed those tones, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the coolest sound I think I've ever heard. Yeah. And so we start extracting those tones and building environments out of those. Because it's, and it probably wasn't designed for that. Sure. Uh, but it works. It's a great tool. And, and you have a musical background too, right? You play? Yeah. Yeah. I just played, a, did a couple songs for a film that's going to be in Tribeca. That's awesome. My first, my first composing. <laughs> it was an accident. The director was like, "Man, I wish we could have got this song. We can't afford it." Yeah. And um, just play it. And I was like, "If we had a cello," he goes, "I played cello when I was a kid." No way. He's like, "Do you know anyone with a cello?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Get that in an Uber. Get it over here." <laughs> and we set up. That's what this mic over here set oh, up for. We just God. recorded cello, and I did some piano and guitar, and and just um, like that, and some other things. Yeah, just put a put a few songs in the in the movie. I mean, yeah. I, I can imagine that uh, a director, when they come in here, they don't, they don't have, I don't think they would think that um, that you would have any less of a creative approach than you would on a big stage. Like, it, everything is a tool, it's an extension of who you are and what and what you can do, you know? Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what room you're in, you're ultimately going to be the, that same person. Right, and that one happened in a big stage. Yeah. There, right, you wouldn't true. end up with the cello and me on a piano in the other room with the thing. You know, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. it's, yeah, creatively, it's a really cool way to work. Yeah. So you were saying, you are hinting at the fact that there's no longer a mentorship, apprenticeship type of approach. Yeah. So I, I find nowadays when people reach out to me, they're always asking, how do I get into X place? How do I meet this person, that person? What do you find? Like you said, you weren't very, you're not very active in social media, right? Right. So when you do I'm run trying a- to be, <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty social though. I mean, two people in a room chatting. I mean, That's this right. Is, yeah. This, this is, is a different OG. kind of social. This is yeah. the OG social. That's right. So what, what can you say today in terms of for the folks who are interested in they're like, uh, obviously they're not going to have, they don't, maybe let's just assume they don't have the time or not enough time, but they don't have the resources to convert their garage into a studio like you, or they don't have the clients. So Obviously, your story is a great example of you know meeting people and they, you're getting pulled into into a career. But nowadays, what would what would your pointer be if someone came to work for you? What what would you tell them? It's kind of the same as it was. Yeah, uh, you need to intern, and for me, it was a six month free internship, which I was doing days. Yeah. Um, at night. I went, there was a place called Coley that did mm-hmm. um, like super independent films. Yeah. Like really independent yeah. films. <laughs> um, and they, uh, you know, I would mix Foley there. Yeah. But then they were having financial problems, so I never really got paid. So I worked for free for six months, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think that's kind of, and I hate to say it, but it's kind of your master's degree. It's like you're mm-hmm. not paying to get a master's degree. I think something that the people don't realize is that the, uh, if, if the challenge is like the money factor and it's like that delicate balance between um, understanding that you're like the amount of things that someone might understand at early on in their career, they're so green 
that the best thing that they can do is just observe and assist and, and yeah, and learn the process. You could be the best sound designer in the world if you don't know how to get it yeah. in a timeline right. to picture and in a deliverable format for a mixer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And something right? I, I think I love to hear your thoughts on is that uh, while there is a standardized way of maybe setting up tracks or there's some under like agreement. Yeah. Like what? What can you say about today's world of of like, it, since we are working in the box, how important that is? Understanding that it's still important, yeah, right. Especially for temp dubs and things like you want your dialogue laid out. If I have to go Hunt. underwater, above water, yeah. um, you know, if I have a lot of like indoor, outdoor yelling from distance, I want all those tracks in a way where I don't have to um, try and do it like on the same time. I want it to be moved to a different timeline um, so I can put the same reverbs, you know, mm-hmm. or the same futs, or if it's a phone call. Yeah. I want all that on one track, the phone call. That's so I don't not, have I mean, to. Yeah. Yeah. And just so basically things like that. Crickets, um, you know, things, cicadas, things like that, I like to put in the room because they fill up the front anyhow. Sure. Right. So if they're all, you know, in their own group, it's easy for me to go to pan them kind of all at once, especially mm-hmm. for a temp, just do like global panning. Mm-hmm. But it's also, hey, I hate that bird, get rid of those birds. Or I don't like this sound, get rid of that sound. Do I want to dig through a hundred or a thousand tracks or whatever it mm-hmm. is to try and find it? Or do I want to go, oh, that's going to be on my car tracks or my engine tracks or my whatever. So mm. yeah, I want to change out that end. Like it's just, when you're dealing with so many tracks and I would show you if you could see it, but <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's nice to be very organized. Uh, this is, uh, this is, I mean, it's such a basic question, but I feel like it's one of the, un- for people who are so new to the industry, they're, I think they're grabbing for like, what is going to make that little difference? That's going to give me a little more perspective on what's going to make me seem that I understand at least the basics of, you know, the work that's going on here. It's, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like, um, my, the guy been, that I hired about a year ago, mm-hmm. um, Taylor, was on tour with Gary Clark Jr., yeah. uh, mixing for him. He kind of knew Pro Tools a little bit. Different um, world. You know, yeah. totally different world. But his attitude is like, and his like passion and his drive. And also he doesn't get uh, like emotionally tied to his work. Mm-hmm. Like, and so all those elements make me go, yeah, I got to hire that guy. I mean, that, that that's probably the same type of response that, you know, like Elmo had or Sandler had, I'm sure. Yeah, like they, right? There's humans first and then the work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone can do the work. But you need someone who goes, looks at the project. Yeah. And knows that they're making a film. Yeah. And, um, and wants to contribute to that. And it's not as isolated as you're just making cool sounds. I remember I worked on a thing with Sandler for like three weeks, one scene. And he literally was like, I hate that. Take that out and just put a fart sound. And it's like, that was the biggest lesson of my life. Like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's, and he was right. Yeah. It, I did the coolest thing I knew how to do at the time. I spent so much time and dedication. I, like, I was staying up nights working on it because I wanted it to be amazing. And then we just reduced it down to a part zone. <laughs> so pro- it was the best lesson of my life. It's probably one of those, like, you know, the memorable moments that everyone laughs at or loves. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And they do love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
perfect. He was right. And it teaches you that when directors or picture editors or whoever uh, produce are giving notes yeah. and, and you're like, that's a crazy dumb idea. Yeah. And then you put it in, you're like, oh my God, that's a really good idea. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I yeah. always try whatever they say now. You know, that's the amazing thing. I mean, I feel very fortunate. That I've had opportunities to be on a lot of stages with a lot of different sound teams and directors. And every time, I remember the first time I, um, I met, uh, I mean, Tom Fleischman even. Yeah. And I was like, why does this guy work so well with X-Director? And then when I met him, it was like, ah, oh, this is obvious. I can understand the temperament. I can understand um, how he thinks, how he, not even how he works, but just how, who he is as a person. Yeah. And that happens every time. You know, how do you work with Wes Anderson? How do you work with Tarantino? How do you work with Christopher Nolan, Michael Bay? All these guys are have their own teams that you'll... I, think, I find that like when the collaborations... Um, work so well together it's because there's a, a respect of craft of each other there is yeah and, and yeah. it you do have to gain their trust quickly yeah um otherwise things can go south pretty fast <laughs> so, it is a, all trust yeah. like the team i'm working with now i just had to do a mix that they wanted to play for um all the agents and producers and they're like oh no just do it mm-hmm. it'll be fine mm-hmm. like so you you get their trust. Uh, the hardest thing is when you're working at a facility or and you kind of get pushed on a director. Mm. And they're like, yeah, but I got my guy. And it's like, yeah, you're using Derek. Right. And then walking into that, it's three months of you proving yourself because right. they didn't want you there in the first place. Mm. And it's always being able to win them over with like just your passion and creativity, like just wanting to be there and wanting to do the best for the film. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good point of uh, the politics because you can have a director just be like, I'm unhappy with this whole the whole the whole sound approach, the whole yeah, and it, it's it's a hard that's a hard truth to swallow because ultimately it's not a reflection of any one thing. It's just like the sum of all the parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is, and it's you know they're loyal to their people, yeah. right? And they're loyal to me, so I have to respect that. Mm-hmm. I love when a director goes, oh, no, I want to use my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I'd love to meet you, but I have a guy. And it's always like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thing. Because I have a lot of directors and picture editors that are like that with me. How do you balance out then, like I said, you know, like with your schedule and your time, when those when your guys do call you, are, are they calling you with enough notice that you can make sure that they're a priority? Yeah, my main guys will like even send me early versions of the script. I mean, they understand, yeah. obviously, like, you're, they're not your only uh, client. Yeah, but they'll, like, I'm doing a, Dave Talbert, who I've done a, many mm-hmm. films with, he has a, a very large uh, Netflix film coming up, yeah. which is large in every scope. Like, yeah. it's uh, like this magical journey. It's mm-hmm. almost a Pinocchio story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really beautiful script, and he's in London filming it now. Mm-hmm. But he gave me early versions of the script and so i went and found this store you know that had all these really cool old mechanisms from like the 20s up till today Mm -hmm. and i started taking pictures and recording things for him and sending him you know photos of that and it kind of inspired how the um the main character is going to have his shop Mm. so we like guys like that you know i work with really early on in the process um, I'm working on another movie, um, or about to, mm-hmm. where I met with the director, and you know he has the um, 
production recorders send me sound every day so I can just check it and make mm-hmm. sure, you know. That's cool. That the product, you know, and then we can adjust for things that are troubled, you know, like any kind of miking issues or whatever. We'll adjust for those mm. long before I even start the process. It's nice. You, know, you at least are aware of what, what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the next, um, you know, Talbert's movie will probably start in, you know, end of next year. So I already know about that. And I knew about that since August. It's kind of reassuring when you know you have work a year from. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the lights on and the AC running. That's right. Yeah. Feed the dogs. Yeah. But in the meantime, I get to take all these little cool films and it's amazing. Yeah. And now I work on Terminator or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, I get to fill my time with really cool projects. Yeah. Is yeah. there a genre or a specific type of uh, project that you have yet to crack? Not really. Mm-hmm. I love story-driven film. I love like small, intimate, like story-driven film. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like Coen Brothers or um, you know, even just like romantic comedies, things like that. So I've been mm-hmm. pretty fortunate. Um, the days of me doing like huge blockbuster, um, stay up twenty hours a day for six months. You don't enjoy that anymore. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It doesn't it's still. Yeah. Get you excited. I will help out on those. <laughs> I don't. I, uh, I love helping out on those. I don't. No, I can't do yeah. it for a year anymore. There's nothing worse than seeing a full crew on the stage at like two in the morning and yes, there the, was, the whiskey doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. I yeah. remember many nights like mixing, and you know, we'd break at midnight. And they'd want us back at seven, yeah. and so they just put me up at a hotel, even though it was only twenty minutes away from that, because we were too tired to drive. Yeah, and they just go. Oh, we got your motel for the, or a hotel for a month. And now it's, you know, a minute and a half commute between your bedroom and your... Yeah, and that's with brushing my teeth. <laughs> that's yeah. with brushing yeah. my teeth. <laughs> I think that, that's yeah. a, an overlooked, and I want to really... I mean, this is my own perspective. I'm sure you, you'd probably support it too, which is like working out of your home, the work-life balance is a challenge. Um, um, I, I think like, you know, working for someone else, maybe there's more of a, a sense of job security or there's other aspects. There's, I don't think any one combination is the best. There's no best. Um, there's, there's just kind of that balance that works out. And some people can't work at home. Yeah. Like they're like, no, I can't even focus at home. My kid will be in my lap, a thing. I get that. Like they don't work that way. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there's people like me who, if I can save two hours in commuting, mm-hmm. That's two hours doing something else. Uh, yeah, it's two hours doing something else. Yeah. And for job security, like mm-hmm. I worked at DSP, they went under. I worked at Lantana, they went under. I yeah. worked at Fox, they just got purchased. Mm-hmm. I worked, you know. It's going to follow you. <laughs> I don't know if there yeah. is job security. There's just your your connections. And right, your those relationships. Relationships with, yeah. yeah, your peers. That's your job security. Mm. So if you can maintain that and work at home. Yeah. For yeah. for the guys obviously who can't have a full Atmos system set up, what's your take then on mixing for headphones, at least when it comes to I mean, obviously editorial work is editing great. Yeah. I don't know about mixing in headphones. I yeah. think that's still Or even uh, just near fields or something like that. What's near fields you can do pretty well. Yeah. Um you know, I've heard I've heard some things come out of small rooms you know with just near fields that sound pretty good mm-hmm. um but it is I'm, i made the investment for a reason yeah yeah because i did work that way for a long time with just near fields and things yeah but to get real like stereo separation mm-hmm. and to, um 
you know, hear a subwoofer properly and to hear your mid-range properly, you really need the room to be set up for, for a mix. Yeah. For editorial, you know, a lot of guys w- work on dialogue in their headphones. Sure, of course. That you can hear all the clicks and snaps and pops and all yeah. the little, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to your room, how, how do you deal with your base management and overall measurement of just kind of where your levels sit? How do you how do you know what what's the right combination? I, uh, Brian Slack was huge in helping me with my base <laughs> so management. Explain, tell them uh, who, who he is. No, Brian is. Slack, uh, he started at DSP. There was a glass console. This is probably before your time. <laughs> yeah. But it was like the most, it was future. at the time, the it was the most futuristic, crazy thing anyone had done. He was instrumental in help, helping to build that. And then he um, formed a company called Widget Sound. Um, and they took over the old DSP and then they took over the old Warner Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up selling that and going to work with D- DTS. Yeah. So he's working with DTS now. Um, also got Jerry Steckling, who designed a lot of the Skywalker rooms and a bunch of amazing rooms down here. And he really built this room. Yeah. It's his design. It's yeah. his, yeah. I mean, you went to the extent of floating the floor, doing floating all the proper yeah. kind of approaches, which I think you'd, any studio would want to have kind yeah. of check out the box. Yeah. And I don't want to, be working on a loud movie at midnight and my neighbors hearing me. When the cops right? show up. Yeah, yeah. And then there's gunshot sounds That's right. and, and I don't explosions. I don't want to do anything to upset the neighbors. So, um, yeah, we... we uh, and also, you don't want to hear it in the house. Yeah. Even though this is attached to the house. So you have pretty good house, isolation? You don't hear it in the house. Amazing. All. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So, um, all those things went into building it. And that's what ended up taking so much time and money. So, so how has your perception of sound and music like changed over time from... I wouldn't even say when you start, when you first got interested into this, but do you notice any, you know, the kind of the breadcrumbs you picked up along your career of things that continue to stick with you? The sound design process, and I know a lot of people, I'm going to grab a drink of water yeah, here. Sure. A lot of people think sound design is doing cool robots or monsters or mm-hmm. that, which it is, but it's also... I think when you mix and edit and supervise, you find out that it's a whole soundscape. It's a whole landscape that you have to deal with. And you build your your scape around the idea of what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. So it's really taught me that everything it has to be so integrated. Mm-hmm. And sound design is integrating everything into that. Painting that picture on the screen is really of everything on the screen. It's not just the uh, spaceship flying by. It's everything mm-hmm. else that's going on around it is sound design. Is there a part of the process that excites you more nowadays? Is it all kind of the, the same? or <clears throat> The working, the collaboration okay. with directors and picture editors and my crew, like that's what excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the toys are fun too. I mean, the plugins. What are some of the other ones that you, you grab always? What, what are you always using? Um, depends. Like for dialogue, it's um, ADR matching now. Mm-hmm. Like we can, um, like it's pretty incredible. Um, it's, I, I'm going to have to look just because I always just grab it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Like Revoice Pro. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is amazing. Um, there's a new tool. And I just got it, and I'm going to um, look at the name yeah, of it too because I'm terrible. Um, <clears throat> this audio um, auto-align post okay. is um, will take your 
whatever track you deem is your master audio, your dialogue track mm -hmm. and phase all your other tracks to it perfectly. Amazing. Which has been yeah. killing us for years, phase. <laughs> like you had to choose yeah, a lot of times, yeah. especially, you know, if a boom mic's moving around, your phase is continually changing. So you would just grab the lav. Yeah. But the boom sounds so rich, but yeah. you lose it and, you know, it comes back. And now we can, you know, things like that are amazing for dialogue. I love to hear those things because it's, it's you know, not everyone has opportunities to work in various aspects. If they're only cutting dialogue or only cutting effects, they're not thinking about some of those other tools. And Yeah, there's but, some cool tools. <laughs> I mean, SoundMiner, like, I only used for effects. Yeah. Now... I put all my dialogue in it, all the dailies. Oh, amazing. And then I'm like, oh man, if I could just replace that word. Since I've been doing that, my ADR has dropped by 80%. So what are you doing with, with it then? I'm finding alts. Okay. Um, I can just go through them very quickly and find all the alts and listen to them, huh. um, play them with picture, or do all of that. Was, that. was that something that someone else was doing or you just thought of trying that? I just... I'm sure many people are doing it, <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. sure I'm late to the game. But yeah, I just, yeah. like, one day I was like, oh, I'll just throw it in there and look for alts. That's so cool. Yeah, but I'm sure there's many people way ahead of me on that. No, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. And what, what about verbs and spatial, you know, other information like that? Well, so um, Isotope just bought um, Phoenix Verb. Mm -hmm. um, I love their reverbs. Love their reverbs. Okay. Um, for, like exterior spaces for a lot of stuff they're really amazing i'm still a huge fan of tl space okay. or space i think it's called yep. mm -hmm. i have it now for mm -hmm. interior small interiors mm -hmm. i have altiverb i default to space okay. for those kinds of things um there's a uh oh boy I, i'm really uh you know it's, it's this the, is the test here. Yeah, I know, right? Name that and, plugin. And I'm so bad at remembering things. I just grab them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you know where it is in the uh, file sl menu? Slapper. Have you used Slapper? Mm -mm. No, no, no. Um, what do you use it for? It's, well, I just used it in a horror movie. Oh, okay. And it's, you can set your points for your delays. Mm -hmm. And you can also have them pitch down, pitch up. Oh, fun. You can also pan them around the room. You can pan each one separately. So you can do wild stuff with that. And it was really cool on a horror film. To, um, I think you can just move stuff yeah, in yeah. wild ways with Slapper. I, I usually don't even dig into what plugins people are using. I just know that like you're really working out of the box in this case. And you're working by yourself in a way that most others don't have the opportunity to. So I just yeah. know that you have to... you have to get creative with what tools you have at your disposal. Yeah, and I love samplers. I love, like I'll just... I, if you looked at my, I don't know if you guys can see this, but if you looked at my plugin list here, um, <laughs> it's deep. I don't, I've got to have a thousand plugins and you just keep going go through. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause they're, it's part of the fun. Yeah. Buying the toys. That's so cool. Yeah. And I just got a line six amp modulator yeah, 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 um, yeah. that's in the other room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm plugging like things into, even though it's made for a guitar. Sure. Um, and I just took it out of here yesterday. Yeah, um, but I've been like running sound through that and mm -hmm. doing some like some weird, you know, modulations and things through that and filters through that, through the line six stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So for folks who obviously want to check out what you're up to, you have your Summit Post website, Summit Post. Yeah, which I should sound. probably update. It's been. What is it? I literally launched it and haven't updated it since. Well, it's not, it's not that out of date. I'm terrible at marketing myself. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, okay, you got yeah, a hold of me, so it's yeah. work. Something's working. 
That's right. So yeah, summitpostsound.com. Um, you can check out those pictures of uh, the mix studio and the awesome view you have. I mean, that's one of the perks. You're not on the lot, so you have a wonderful view of the yeah, mountains we're here. Tucked in the mountains, right <laughs> in LA, 15 minutes from Venice Beach, right? Uh, but yeah, um, we're really tucked in the mountains. Yeah, so cool. Um, and then I have the Facebook. Oh, you're on Facebook. All right, so you are <laughs> summit, socializing. Summit post sound on Facebook. All right. And I just got a Twitter account. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it's Post Summit or something. They switched it. But they'll find know. you. They'll find me. Derek, thank you so much thank for you. chatting. Thank you. Thanks for coming out here. So much fun. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Derek Vanderhorst, um, summitpostsound.com. Thank you again. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to my chat with Derek Vanderhorst. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. If you have a story you'd love to share with us, please send us an email at info at soundworkscollection.com. Talk to you soon.